The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. If you don't hear a fiddle or a steel guitar, a hillbilly singing by the honky-tonk bar, the bass ain't banging and the vocals are rough, brother, it ain't country, no. If it don't tug at your heartstrings and tear at your soul, get you up and dancing, going out of control, you hear it on the radio and don't turn it up, brother, it ain't country, no. If you can't move to it, groove to it. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here. The North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. We are broadcasting live from the Hatch Coaches Studio, but by the time you listen to it, it's no longer live. But that's okay. That's the type of stuff we do here at the Crude Life with Provolone, our entitled intern. How you doing, Provolone? He comes to us from the University Mama and Papa Oil and Gas Company. That's his parents. They own a modest oil and gas company. Called me up and said, our son is majoring in entitlement at the university. Could you please help him live the crude life? And so we said, absolutely. Does he work for free? Well, close to it. Good enough for me. Good enough. We, we here at the crude life are trying to figure out. We used to say at the crude life, we're trying to figure out how to make two bucks into five bucks. But after the coronavirus, we're trying to figure out how to make one dollar into ten bucks. Because that's just kind of the way it is. But folks, you know, I joke because, listen, be happy. There's so much to smile about, so much to be grateful for. The sun is up. It came up again today. You know, this this is going to change the world, the coronavirus, okay? It is going to change the world. It already has. Humans evolve through behavior and this is about as close to setting the reset button as i've seen i mean really when you think about it at the end of the day a lot of the people that are making decisions they're going to keep getting their checks but a lot of the people that have to react are not all the servers out there that are used to getting a paycheck so they could pay their apartment well the landlords and the servers now are going to be impacted so the effects that are going on with this coronavirus are remarkable. I remember I used to think and marvel about just the complexity of the oil and gas industry, about just how the cafes rely on the oil and gas industry and the local convenience stores and all kinds of different things. And then take in everything like this, which where you can just turn on the, the, the on and off like a spigot. I think of Las Vegas and the casinos. That's absolutely remarkable. So I say this, folks, because how do you want to live your life? Because right now, you have an opportunity to start fresh. You have a new start right now opportunity. That's what you have. I mean, it's it's happening whether you like it or not. So it's time to take a step back and reinvent, reset, and revive your life. That's right. Revive your life. And guess what? The best time to do it is now. Well, guess what? It was yesterday, but yesterday is gone. Tomorrow never comes. Right now is right now. So today here on the Crude Life Podcast, we are corona-free. We are happy. We are esoteric energy. We are completely organic from the hip. All I know is Joe Dancy is going to be calling in our energy educator. We had another guest lined up from 
was it Kerr, was it? Yeah, and they had some coronavirus stuff that they had to do. They didn't have it. No, just it's what's going on. All of a sudden, you got to have meetings because another company had a meeting. And, you know, I emailed uh, even API Dickinson this morning and said, are you guys going to keep having your monthly meetings? Because I know it's more than 10 people. So can you even have that anymore? So we're, you know, a lot of stuff is kind of fluid right now. That's that's what, what it's all about here at the Esoteric Energy with the crude life when you're living the crude life because when you live the crude life you know what it's like to make a life-changing decision with a seat belt wedged in your back at two in the morning in the back of walmart because that is what it's like living the crude life and guess what folks i've lived the crude life i used to live in a food truck well, I did this radio show that has now become a pot. If I had a radio show, and I still have a radio show, but if I'm on radio and then I go to have a podcast, am I going backwards or forward? I've never quite figured that out. I do know that if I had a newspaper column and I end up on a blog, that was a little bit of going backwards. I'm not quite sure on the whole podcast radio thing because it's different. You know, radio, you got to build an audience. Podcast, you got to build one. Luckily, we've been able to build one here. 300,000 followers on our multiple social media accounts. So we've been able to do that. But it's the difference of, of the presentation as well. And that's just the type of attention to detail you're going to get here at The Crude Life. I tell you what, folks, that's, what, that's right. That's what's going to happen. Okay, what do we got going on today, folks? Let me give you a quick rundown. As I mentioned, Joe Dancy will be calling in a little bit later on. I saw that Provolone here, our entitled intern, we do a little segment called Headlines where we read three headlines every day. The first two are generally oil and gas related, and the third one is kind of a kind of a, a wild card, if you will, and I glanced at it, and I saw something about the truther, and I imagine this has to do with the conspiracy theories behind the coronavirus and you know me i love a good conspiracy i don't necessarily endorse them or enable them or even believe them but you know i like good fiction and i also like when they try to make fiction into fact and everything else and so i i knew that the uh, conspiracies were going to come out on this i have no idea anything about it but i do want to ask joe dancy about it because you know he's a texas a&m university educator he's not going to be anywhere near this so i'd like to see what his thoughts are on it and actually, what's going on on Texas A&M's campus, too? I bet they've shut down pretty much. I bet they don't even have classes there. And so uh, Joe Dancy coming up. U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer will be on to explain how the rise of environmentalism has changed in the energy industry all the way to investing, specifically in the oil and gas sector. He calls environmentalism nothing more than extreme liberalism. Kevin Kramer, part of our three minute and 30 second radio update on the podcast no it's our daily radio update have we wordsmith that yet no we haven't so okay <laughs> shaking your head over there uh we haven't wordsmith that yet folks but we have a daily radio update and since we do it every day for the radio stations we just throw it at the end of the podcast for us, it's just, yeah, we just throw it at the end of the podcast. But for the radio stations, we get up every morning. It's the first thing we do in the morning. It's like, it's it's one of the things that we, it, it actually is one of the centrifugal things of our whole of our whole business model, to be honest. And then we just throw it at the end of our podcast. So anyway, that's coming up a little later in the program. As I mentioned, headlines. And then today's sponsor, 
Blackwater Environmental. We have a daily sponsor here at the Crude Life Podcast. If you'd like to sponsor us, we'd appreciate it very much. By the way, this is a great way to reach businesses that you are currently doing business with or ones you're prospecting through the podcast, the interviews and the radio platform. You know, of course, we're in magazines and newspapers. We get picked up by third-party websites. What we do is we produce trusted content for the industry. And because we've been doing it for so long, and we've been on the BBC, and we've been in the Duluth Tribune, and we've been in the, uh, what else was the, what was the name of the Baker, Montana? Oh, you weren't around then. Uh, the the uh, Baker, Montana newspaper, we get it up in there, and the Belfouche radio station. I mean, hey, like I said, we've been on the BBC and Belfouche. So we've been in the top of the world, and even the topper of the world as well. You know, Belfouche used to be the sheep population, the capital of the United States for a long time, Belfouche was. So that's hey, that's nothing to sneeze at, folks. You're talking about Belfouche spelled Belforche because there's an R in there for some reason. But anywho, this is a very, very long way to get to our sponsor. But what I'm getting at is that sponsoring the crude life is a great way to reach people at a time when nobody's leaving their house or leaving their offices because they're listening to podcasts. And they're listening to the radio and they're reading newspapers and they're reading magazines and they're reading websites online. And so they're they're actually catching up on a lot of different things because it you just can't go buy somebody a drink anymore and go golfing with them. It's just it's not working anymore. So this is a great way to reach people here at the crude life and Blackwater Environmental. I'd really like you to check out their company. We have the link available at our website. And listen, folks, at the end of the day, we need sponsors to keep our lights on. And we need to inform, educate, and entertain the masses on how we keep those lights on because it's not just the flick of a switch. It's not just going down into the breaker room and flicking on the switch. No, it's hardworking men and women like Blackwater Environmental. Blackwater Environmental is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience, offering inspections, consulting, coat failure analysis, specification writing, and coding application services for the energy, oil, gas, and municipal markets. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcroft, Wyoming, but as they grew, they moved their facilities to Gillette, Wyoming. Blackwater Environmental takes pride in giving the best quality and service to their customers. Their approach to business is good neighbor ethics and practices, building excellent relationships with their customers and employees. For more information, visit BlackwaterEnviro.com. That's BlackwaterEnviro.com. Of course, those links are available at the Crude Life podcast show page as well. Our featured event is the Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament. As we've mentioned before, a lot of the events are canceled for the foreseeable future, even all the way to we're checking out if some of the coronavirus is affecting some of the oil field connections in fact we were supposed to be interviewed with uh, sarge yesterday sarge summers you know with the oil field connections and we couldn't we couldn't get a hold of him and and that's unusual for sarge so my guess is he's probably going through a little bit of uh re, re i guess reshuffling trying to figure out he has some great momentum going with this oil field connections and he's definitely getting more than 50 people so uh we'll be catching up with sarge summers as well 
But getting to the oil and gas thing here, as far as the March Madness, the Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament, we've got the Permian region, the Bakken region, the Marcellus region, the Powder River region. Look at that. Oh, 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 can you believe it? Swan Energy, MBI Energy, Credence Energy Services, and who is the other one? Crestwood Midstream all got number one seeds. Permian region, it's MBI Energy, it's Crestwood down in the Powder River region, Swan Energy up in the Marcellus, and down in the Bakken, it's Credence Energy Services. Pulled the number one seeds. Check out our bracket at our Crude Life show page here on the podcast, or you can go to our social media sites. We got them posted all over the place. First round matchup, March 19th. We're just a couple days away from our first round matchups here on the Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament. Tomorrow, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about the matchups. We're also going to kind of maybe make a prediction or two. All right. Folks, we're going to take a brief pause here. I did mention our sponsor, Blackwater Environmental. Check out their website, blackwaterenviro.com. But I I need a cup of coffee, a quick break. Uh, Take a listen to Blind Joe, our crossover music here at The Crude Life, our Crude Life crossover music. Blind Joe was one of Blake Shelton's favorites on NBC's The Voice. He's a regional, kind of a national singer-songwriter, open for acts like David Allen Coe. He really is blind. He's old soul country, singer-songwriter, good friend of mine, love Blind Joe, and I appreciate him supporting us here. And if you have a chance, support him as well. Uh, We'll be back in less than about 60 seconds here. We need to, you know, keep the lights on, folks. And also, I need to go get a cup of coffee. Uh, Headlines coming up, and Joe Dancy talk about the coronavirus, as well as U.S. Shale looking to rise a record 9 million barrels per day in April. Coming up here. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Podcast. Provolone is manning the production elements. Blind Joe, crank it up, baby. Well, ever since I was a little bitty and boy just listening to my hero sing, well, I knew one day if I could find a way, man, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Well, dreams come true and I know they do and I can feel the music down in my soul. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. I all and jamming for all my friends. That's you, Jason. And you'll hear me say from a mile away that I'm the luckiest man I know. You better make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Yeah, man, so crank up the sound, turn up the lights. Let's get the show on the road. Yeah, you're all going to party tonight with a regular Joe. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. The North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. Of course, this is the Crude Life Podcast, known as the voice of the voiceless. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Joe Dancy going to be calling in any second on the Bakken Barbecue phone lines here. And we're going to go through headlines very quickly. I want to kind of breeze through them here quick because I want to get to Joe Dancy. I know I'm looking at the clock. I'm trying to time things here, Provolone. He's usually pretty punctual. You know, he's one of those educator types. And because of that, you know, we like to stay on task. All right, the first one comes from Reuters. U.S. shale output to rise to record 9.08 million barrels per day in April, according to the EIA. 
EIA, that is the Energy Information Administration. U.S. oil output growth from the Permian Basin is expected to offset declines in every other shale formation in April, helping push overall production up about 18,000 barrels per day to a record 9 million BPD. Data showed on Monday. Output from the Permian Basin of Texas and New Mexico is expected to rise 38 million barrels per day to a record 4.9 million barrels per day. Data from the U.S. Energy Administration showed. Also, they talked about the Bakken in here. I'm looking at it. It says it's expected to fail by about 1,400 to about 1.47. So we are looking at increases in the Permian and probably, I see the Eagleford as well, and decreases in the Bakken. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with the quick, the you know, just the drill is they didn't think the drills would last as long. And, and was it the curve and the, and the die-off and the, and, and the, and the um, decline? Couldn't think of that word there for a second. Sorry about that, folks. But uh, a lot of that, they're figuring out. You know, that's the thing with new technology is sometimes, you know, you, you, you tweak it and you figure out things and it doesn't always go your way, but it's science. It doesn't lie. It generally tweaks itself out and takes care of itself. And that's one of the things that they're finding. North Dakota is having a very difficult time with it. Very, very difficult time trying to figure out how to play chemistry with the state budget and how to figure out the oil and how to figure out the flaring. They're just so reactive that it's, it's, um, it's really quite sad, to be honest. It's very quite sad what's going on up there, to be honest. And that's a, that's a different show for a different day. But um, anywho, so good news down in the Permian, folks. Uh, I did read an article about three, four years ago that talked about how 70% of the shale activity was going to come out of the Permian over the next 20 years. And this was, you know, three years ago. Just keep that in mind, folks. Keep that in mind. And the Bakken was second at about 10 to 15%. So something to keep in mind. Okay, what do we have coming up next year? Our next headline comes to us from, let's see, OPEC and IEA warned developing countries could lose up to 85% of oil and gas income this year. Developing countries and oil and gas income could fall, fall to their lowest levels in more than two decades if current energy market conditions persist, the IEA and OPEC have warned in a rare joint statement. IEA Executive Director Fatil Burol and OPEC Secretary General Mohamed Barkindo expressed deep concerns about the coronavirus pandemic on Monday warning it could have potentially far-reaching economic and social consequences. Well, I honestly, folks, I, I think that horse is out of the barn. I mean, this is happening in other countries as well. Like, I'm going to ask Joe Dancy about, is the boom-bust cycle of an oil and gas town happening on the globe right now? I mean, we're seeing 85% of oil and gas income to fall this year and other you know developing countries. What's already happened in the United States, just the canceling of March Madness and WrestleMania and basketball and all these different. The, I mean, when you think of March Madness and WrestleMania, okay, I know you'd laugh at WrestleMania, but WrestleMania is up there with the Olympics and the Super Bowl for economic impact in communities. So is March Madness. And not only is March Madness, but you've got all these satellite cities like Dallas and 
Uh, this year it's in Atlanta. I think the final four is so generally, you know, like Nashville and Minneapolis, Dallas, Louisville, all these different cities, they have, they have a weekend, right? And they bring in all kinds of economic impact. And then you got podcasters that maybe know, you know, some NBA player. And so they rent out a room at a hotel and then they have 500 people show up and they watch them do a podcast about what it's like back when, you know, Charles Barkley did X, Y, Z. And, you know, that's the type of stuff that happens. That's the type of stuff that small business does to make money. And I know in the world of wrestling, because my cousin trains them or used to, there's a lot of independent promotional guys that rely on that WrestleMania weekend because you have people coming in from 800 countries or 80 countries or 100 countries, whatever it is. You got 80,000 people going in to watch a bunch of men in tights do a choreographed ballet. God bless them. But what happens is, is all these indies, they do matches at the hotels and they podcast at the hotels and the different, you know, smaller venues. But when you bring 80,000 people in for one day, but it's over the course of a weekend, man, you're just, just pumping money into a community. Well, that's gone. When I think of even the local bars for March Madness, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of just constant eating and drinking all day long. The servers are missing the tips and the people are missing the beer sales. And just, I mean, I, I know, you know, there's certain bars that they count on like six days a year to make up like 20 to 30% of their revenue. And March Madness is part of that. The Super Bowl is part of that. I mean, there's big events. The Kentucky Derby is another one for certain places. And they're, they're pushing that back. But anyway, the, I, I digress, I know, but I, I think the horse is already out of the barn on this. And if you're talking about now developing countries too, this very well could be like a boom bust cycle with a, with a town of, you know, for oil and gas towns, you know what I'm talking about. When that last well is done, boom, that's it. Your cafe, they just close the next day. The convenience store, well, I guess we got some gas left to sell. We might as well sell that out but if nobody's around to buy a couple monster energy drinks and a couple sandwiches every single morning and to come by and have some hot hamburger sandwiches for lunch every day well you can't make it and i wonder if that's what's going on on the planet right now is that you, it's almost like the planet is on the bust cycle of a boom bust energy oil and gas cycle of a small town or whatever these things are anyway i i know that a lot of you are shaking your head yes because you know what i'm talking about and a lot of you are going is he high is he doing the show from colorado today is he there hanging out with governor polis and in the in the blue new deal like a blue boulder rolling down colorado or a rocky mountain that's what johnny green says a blue boulder rolling down a rocky mountain okay i had to transition out of that folks okay all right, is Joe Dancy ready? Good. Thank goodness. Something saved me. Saved by the bell. Woohoo! Joe Dancy, let's bring him in, baby. All right, folks, for our next headline here, we're going to have to bring in Mr. Joe Dancy because anytime we get into conspiracy, I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I like a good conspiracy, but a lot of people get a little bit uh, nutso about it. And, and Joe Dancy's an educator, so he's like a referee when it comes to this stuff. And there's a few other topics, but this was a good one to bring him in on. Uh, Joe Dancy, how are you doing today? Really good, really good. The uh, Texas A&M 
law school has shut down uh, in for in-line, in-the-seat classes, and we're doing everything online now, and the SMU Business School did the same thing. So it's a, Jason, it's a different world uh, these well, days. Well, for you, you know? th- this has got to be really good. I mean, I, I thought the same thing for me. You know, I've got a home studio, the Hatch Coaching Studios here, and I've been able to have a mobile studio. I did it because I'm a single father. I did it because I had to put my son's priority first. And so for me, this is great because it's something I already, I'm, I'm already doing. And I was going to ask you, you know, you kind of transitioned to the online education world over the last several years. So you've, you've kind of been ready for this too, haven't you? This kind of this transition, this, this working consumer transition we seem to be in. Yeah, it really, uh, really have. And part of it is you realize the how inefficient really the old, you know, you show up and you meet for class and you have three or four classes a semester and it's so much more convenient. And actually what we can do um, is, you know, you can be working in Midland, Texas, driving, you know, a water truck and, you know, getting a degree from, Texas A&M or SMU online, and you don't have to quit your job. You don't have to move. You don't have to pay tuition, you know, for the in-the-seat folks as well as room and board as well as, oh, that's half the going to undergraduate anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunities. Well, it's just, you know, we talked about this last time, you know, how the industry is changing with big data and technology. And if you don't keep up with it, I mean, it's the it's i've talked to people who retired five years ago from drilling wells and they said joe you know you go back in the control room now and he goes i wouldn't it'd be like going in a spacecraft because i i'd know the basic stuff but he goes there's a lot of stuff that i wouldn't have a clue uh you know the technology every year gets a little bit updated it's like getting a new new uh computer i guess and new software so it's interesting stuff well this has been coming for a while in fact this morning i was posting some social media stuff on linkedin and this round was some articles that we've done over the past and a number of different things because you know here at the crude life we you know we not only do we do podcasts we have radio shows and we're also in magazines and third-party news outlets and everything and this story that i'm bringing up was a particular one in 2013 we didn't post it but i saw the you know the headline and and the actual magazine article and it was the technology of the bakken is what it was called and it talked about remote drilling a little bit in the in the article and you know and and the example i gave on the radio show i don't think i gave it in the article though was and I believe it was Liberty Oil. Liberty Oil was the was the uh, oil company in question here. But um, that you know, a, a worker now can live in San Antonio and go to work, come home, make it, go to their kids' soccer game, make it home for dinner, you know, that type of thing, and do their fracking in the Bakken. So they don't even have to really go there. Now there needs to be a shell crew on the wells. That'll never change. But for the most part, if you can have as many remote workers as possible. Now you're talking about a shift in the quality of life to where instead of two weeks on, two weeks off, it's nine to five. Now, nine to five is, is you know, subjective in everybody's mind, but you understand what I mean. It's more of a, hey, I can go to my kid's soccer game. Jeez, this is great. And I can work for an oil company. Now, that 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 is what the direction I see this going uh your thoughts on that joe dancy yeah that's that's really good point and the point of, of you uh 
uh, with your kids and 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 working from home. I mean, it does give you a lot of flexibility in the workforce. And and actually, when you um, remove some of the geographical area boundaries for employers, I mean, it's you know, if you can pick up someone from Dallas to work in Bismarck, you know, online, you know, more power to you. Though, quite frankly, between you and me, I mean. I'd love. I'd rather live in Bismarck because I I just love it up there. I love the winters and I love the outdoors. But you know, it's uh. But Dallas is a beautiful city. It's a great place to be. And and uh, but it does give you that flexibility as the employee as well as the employer. And I think this this may be what's going on. The last this may be a big stepping stone for education as well as online learning and online training. And actually, just online communications, um, you know, because we're going to see, we're going to see how well this works. Because almost every university in the in in the country is is you know shutting down. They're in the seats uh, educational process. And I did, you know, I was sitting and you know some of my colleagues, and it is interesting. The older professors who, you know, some of them are. I mean, it's sort of like learning to drive a stick shift for the first time it's like you you see what they're is their questions they're asking it's like geez have you guys been you know and of course they're great professors they know their stuff but they just are not used to the the delivery and the communication mode the technology it's uh it's sort of like like sort of the analogy is you know you get someone from the 60s that was drilling wells and you bring them out on a well site today and they would just be they'd be number one amazed and they would just be totally lost for a while until they got back up to speed so anyway it'll be exciting to see what goes on i'm sort of a i'm sort of excited about it because um i I will speak to you regularly but i there's a number of groups that i make presentations to that um have have luncheons and have conventions and um you know they said gee we're gonna cancel a convention but will you you know speak you know via via computer, via Zoom, or via, and it's like, hey, I'd love to. It's, uh, we'll see, uh, and, and the neat thing is, do you, you can record it, and of course, you're an expert at recording and replaying and editing and everything else, and, you know, I told them, I, you know, you're welcome to record whatever goes on and slap it on your website, and, you know, if your members can't make it because they're, you know, like, as you know, at a soccer game or, you know, doing whatever they're doing, mowing the lawn, they can, they can check out our discussion uh, or the presentation at a later date so it's sort of it's pretty cool uh jason i it's cool and it's sort of it's it's also just uh incredibly scary right now so and that's what i wanted to get to you know we're uh, one of the headlines that we're talking about here today on the podcast is coronavirus truthers prey on the anxiety of the moment and i've never i don't even know who this former milwaukee county sheriff david clark is he's an african-american with a goatee and a cowboy hat um, he looks like he's from the South or from Texas or I don't know where Milwaukee County is either. Uh, but apparently he's, he's a, a truther and he's, I didn't know there was coronavirus truthers. I knew there was pandemic conspiracies and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit here where, you know, you're talking about the university shutting down and a few other things like that. And that's the only thing I guess I look at in this whole thing is, is, is not so much the conspiracy, not so much, you know, and there are people profiting off this. Absolutely. That happens regardless. We talk about it every day about people using the environment to profit off of the scaring of the environment. I mean, so it's similar from that aspect, but for me, I would look at just the, I guess, the ease or the flow 
of how easily we're transitioning to shutting down the economy. That part just freaks me out. Like, I don't get it. Like, when March Madness got canceled, that was that was, um, that was was it for me. I went, okay, this is like somebody's putting a big reset button on the economy because, you know, I, I look at, like, WrestleMania or March Madness or, you know, these big events where there are so many small business owners that depend on that like there are you know when you go to march madness for example like let's say dallas texas has uh what you know the sweet 16 okay let's say they'd have the sweet 16 there are a lot of podcasters who rely on that weekend for a big portion of their budget because they'll grab any local basketball celebrity at a hotel and you know do events and do you know what i mean there's these secondary events that not only small business owners do but a lot of these you know organizations do with nonprofit charities as well so the nfl draft every nfl team does something with a nonprofit. think about what's going on with las vegas so i was listening to a morning show out of minneapolis the other day and they had a guy call um um email in and talk about how he worked for the Marines and he put together a contingency plan. And this contingency plan was for the casinos in Las Vegas uh, for a bomb. And the contingency was that they couldn't shut the casinos down for one minute. Otherwise it would be devastating to their, you know, their, their economy, not only for the casino, but for Las Vegas. We're talking about shutting places down for two, three months, that sort of thing. Joe, I don't. I. I mean, you're you're an educator. I get it. You're you're with law. You're not an economist by any means. But if I take a step back, I just boy, I I look at just the ripple through this, and and I'm trying to figure out how small business is going to make it through this. Yeah, I share your concern. Actually, it was uh, I went out last Friday to a local restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant, and I expected part of the reason I went out is I like the I like the people, and I. Like, geez, I want to support them. And I walked in there. It's actually, there were quite a few people in there. But yesterday, when I was up by SMU, I went to Starbucks. They have piled all their, their chairs into you know, a big pile. And you can't you can't sit around Starbucks. Not that I do. I usually just get a coffee and go on down to the, to the school. But, um, you know, there would be the normal traffic that you have in there. And I get there really early, like 6.30 in the morning, which is is early for educators, trust me. But I was, you know, I get there and normally there's um, there's a dozen people at least sitting around, you know, talking to their neighbors or talking to their friends and people running in and out. It was really, uh, and then I've heard there's a number of other, um, you know, food chains that are you know, just doing takeout now and uh, a number of restaurants apparently now with the, you know, limitations. I saw actually, I think New York City and Los Angeles and some other have actually bought banned, you know, restaurants and bars and, you know, and gyms. And boy, you take, and all those, you know, a lot of them are small business people. And uh, even if they're not, I mean, if you're a, you know, it's to ask someone to shut down for, you know, a couple months, that's just, um, that, that's just, incredible to me i don't know if they if you if you there's no way you can compensate these people for i mean we don't have enough money in the in the world to uh you know because because america is small business and you look at you know the loans they have and the 
you know, the local business they have. And even the barber, I went and got my hair cut last Thursday. And, uh, you know, I was asking him how things were going. He goes, God, Joe, because nobody's coming in. He goes, I, you know, it's just been incredibly slow. This is the slowest he's ever seen it in, you know, 20 years. And, and he goes, you know, they're not, because I'm not sure. He wasn't sure why, but he was pretty much, you know, convinced it had to do with the, the virus scare. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for him, most of his uh, clientele are sort of like me. They're they're not 30 years old. They're the older guys that sort of are probably hibernating at home, scared to death because of what they're seeing on, on the media. Um, well, I, I kind of laughed. I saw one of the cable networks over the weekend put Outbreak on all weekend. It was like... I'm going. How is that helping? People are people are, are watching this Ebola virus turn your insides into cream of chicken soup in three minutes, you know. And that's another right. thing too. People watch this, and all of a sudden, what you find the monkey, and 20 minutes later, you got the vaccine and the cure, and it's right. I, I it's nothing like that. It's it's so interesting though about how you know. People pushing back events, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of small business owners that rely on this th- these events. And you know, luckily for small business owners, uh, they're 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 quick and nimble, and they can change. The problem is, is whether they have the energy, the resources, or the desire to change. Because in the marketplace, I get it. You got to have a better mousetrap. You gotta you gotta make a better steak sandwich. And, and right now, you know, um, in the world of economy, things are moving around. Things are moving around. In fact, this whole conspiracy article really is about Marco Rubio and Rand Paul and this, this Texas cowboy and all these guys fight, fighting about, you know, fear-mongering and taking advantage of each other profit-wise and et cetera. Like I said, that's nothing new there. I mean, that's been going on since the dawn of man. What I'm more concerned about is how quickly we shut down society and how quickly um, are we going to be able to rebuild it? I'm not sure that that's the question. I don't know because many of the people who made the decision and put the pressure on for these major events to shut down and for a lot of these businesses to shut down, they get a check regardless. They don't have to go out and find new business. They don't, you know what I mean? They, their, their, their lifestyle is, pretty good now i get it this is this is a serious event etc i I get all that i'm not trying to make light of it but at the same time um these are real events that are going to happen that we we're going to have to rebound from this some way and i'm not sure how um joe am i i mean i'm not trying to you know rain on anybody's parade or say that this is not a serious event because this is a serious event but i'm wondering if this is going to be just the start of it well, that's a really good question, Jason. I'm I'm concerned. You know, once you start shutting down, um, you know, restaurants and bars and local activity, and um, and even look at the airlines. I mean, it, um, gee, the, you know, they've cut back their flights substantially, and they're going to, you know, downsize. And airports are the same, the uh, the same way. Uh, it's um, you know who's going to get back on a plane you know next month, and it's going to it's going to take a while to rebuild the trust. Although, like you noted, I mean it is interesting. I'm old enough to remember the Ebola virus and the SARS virus, and I remember you know flying up from Dallas up to uh, Minneapolis and back during I think it was the SARS uh, campaign and getting off the the plane and seeing a number of um, actually they're mostly. Uh, 
uh, foreign uh, foreign carrier that uh, you know everybody getting off the plane had a mask on, and it's like I thought, boy, these people are certainly overreacting to. Um, but looking at it, I mean, it, you know, in their viewpoint, they wasn't overreacting. I can't remember what the SARS death rate was, but it was substantially higher than the flu and what we have. You know what? Apparently, they nobody knows any. That's the other thing. Nobody knows anything with regard to that. Some say, hey, the death rate with the latest virus is, you know, just a little bit worse than the flu. And then some say, hey, look at Italy. You know, the death rate's eight percent. And it's like, I, you know, I don't know. And how do you plan as a businessman? As a, but you're right. Some of the people who are, you know, issuing the edicts that, you know, you can't get together and you can't do this or to do that. Uh, um, you know, is it is it science based or is there facts behind it or? And you're certainly people going to profit off it. I guarantee you. Uh, yeah, as as you know, it's a. Uh, but that's nothing new. Any type of crisis, whether it's a energy crisis, um, you know, a hurricane, you know, you'll have. Yeah, and, and price allocates things correctly over time. But uh, this is going to take some time to go work through. And I'm I, like you. I'm all quite a bit concerned. Uh, you know what the economy is going to look like on July fourth. That's if. Uh, yeah, if you want, if <laughs> I'm sitting out in the backyard with the family and can't go off my property because they say I can't, you know, you, you're not supposed to intermingle. Uh, it's stuff going to the grocery store. It's it's not going to be pretty. So I tell you who I feel bad for those, and we've talked about this before. You know, the energy industry, seventy percent of the industry, energy industry, oil and gas. Sorry, I, I I still call the oil and gas industry the energy industry. Um, the oil and gas industry is supposed to be retired by the year 2022. So, you know, 2023, we'll call it. So you got 70% of the industry retiring by 2023. Boy, those guys, I'm sure, have a lot of oil and gas stocks, and their other ones aren't doing very good either. Could you imagine going through their retirement right now? I feel really bad for those executives and those 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 workers that, you know, we're relying on a lot of these stocks to live a good quality of life and now they're just taking it in the shorts you know what i mean joe yeah yeah exactly it's um yeah it is it, there's and you don't realize i mean actually you bring that up so let me mention uh there well you know you look at any company in the energy sector um regardless and you look at their market capitalization and over the last year and uh, usually two or three years you know most of them have lost billions and billions of dollars in stock value and you know you don't you don't realize how much money has you know or, or apparent value i should say it's not money because it's stock so but it's a you know if you sell your stock you will you can monetize that stock value and you know stocks that were twenty dollars uh two years ago are selling for you know actually i saw someone wrote me today um actually it was a post on linkedin uh one of the guys said, you know, what? Well, two years ago, the stock was $20, and uh, he was laid off about a year ago, so he sold out of stock. But he goes, you know, this morning, the stock's selling at $5.63. I don't know what company it was, but, you know, he goes, that's, you know, he goes, actually, he felt, he feels fortunate. He goes, you know, a lot of companies have been hit worse. And uh, it is interesting, though. I um, went to, there was a meeting here in Dallas, the Energy Prospectus Group, uh, uh, last Thursday, and we they had a, Permian Basin oil producer um, speak on, you know, what their what their outlook was, and it had been set up for like two or three months, and so 
you know, when they set it up, the oil prices was were pushing 60, and, you know, the guy comes in, and the oil prices are pushing 30, and I was real curious whether um, the crowd there, and there was about 35 of them for, for the Dallas meeting of this group, it's, it was a pretty good-sized crowd. None of my students showed up. I was a little bit upset because it was spring break, and apparently they were out drinking beer or whatever you do as a student these days. <laughs> but essentially, I was wondering whether the people who showed up would be throwing chairs and telling the managers how stupid they were. And, um, and the company uh, got up, and they said, hey, we, we, we put our rig down, the one or two we had running, and all they're going to do is uh, – and actually, they're in the – they're on the um, – central basin platform and they're conventional wells that are horizontally drilled so they said the decline rate is like uh after the first year about three or four percent so they they said we're just going to run with the wells we have and you know preserve cash and we're laid off people and he goes it's terrible to have to lay off people that have meant so much to the company but he goes you know we have you know there is no option at 35 dollars a barrel nobody's making money nobody and uh you just hope that you can rain and and I I am more optimistic, Jason. The, I don't want to sound too de- depressed. The um, going forward, oil at thirty or thirty five dollars a barrel globally is not viable. And so, I mean, we will see. And actually, it may go the other way. Where God, everybody shut down their rig. I mean, if you look, and there's some major players who have announced some major cutbacks, and finally in in their exploration activity, but. You know, if you take out those incremental barrels and and we start having the decline you have with shale, um, although globally the demand for oil has gone way down too, so it'll take a while for the supply to to fall enough. But I do feel comfortable thinking that you know, in next December or certainly uh, a year from July, uh, a oil prices will be I expect pushing you know sixty or seventy dollar barrel again or more just based on supply and demand. I may be optimistic. I mean, people have told me I'm nuts. Um, other people, I mean, I think Raymond James just came out with a report yesterday or the day before, and their latest is that um, you know we may be short term touching twenty, but you know longer term we'll recover. And um, you know, and again, they're they're. Everybody who do, if you forecast oil prices or gas prices, there's one thing for certain that's going to you're going to be wrong. And so, you know, when I mentioned Raymond James, a lot of people start throwing mud at me on the internet. It's like, hey, you know, that's I just happen to get their research as well as a few others. And um, but most of them, you know, are you know, short term. You can't be real optimistic with the supply and demand. Like you say, when the economy and energy use correlate so closely, when the economy shuts down. And you're not air conditioning that restaurant or cooking uh, uh, tacos in the back. Uh, your energy use falls off, and uh, and prices go down. But it all it all uh, equals out in the end. But uh, so longer term, being a year or two out, I do feel we, we oil will not be at thirty dollars a barrel. It just it, it, it it's that's not viable for anybody, including the Saudis. Well, not only have I had a taco out of the back of a van before, so I'm not as worried about the coronavirus, I guess, as the average person. But um, no, I'm just kidding, which I have actually had a taco out of a van before. No, I was thinking about that earlier going, you know, the the things Americans eat and and how quickly we responded to this is, is just remarkable. You know, I will say this about the coronavirus. Um, the one thing that does get me is 
when you look at uh, the NBA, because I think once the NBA canceled the season, that was just that was the snowball that started the whole deal. And they were going to try the fanless experience until the two players got it. And that's where I like to point out to people what what's going on here. Because, you know, when you look at SARS and you look at some of these other um, outbreaks that happened, the symptoms happened very quickly. So they were able to to react with this. It's flu like, you know, um, carrier. It's it's uh, you're not sure if you even, even have it when you have it type of a symptom, which makes it very difficult but when you look at what happened in the NBA, those two those two players had it, and they were sweating and bumping up against players from the Toronto Raptors all night, and nobody else on the team got it, and nobody else from Toronto got it. So what that told everybody was that it's a sneezing and coughing disease, which means either you sneeze and cough on people or you sneeze and cough on a surface, you put it on your hand, it goes in your mouth. It's a two, three-step process. That's why I'm a little bit surprised about just the amount of shutdown considering, you know what I mean, as far as the, um, and I get it, it's 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 a strain on the system. It's A lot of it is because of the uh, severity behind the elderly and, right. and how much of a strain on the system it has between the hypochondriacs and the actual people it does put a strain on the system they don't have vaccines yet i understand they're trying their first human trials as as we're speaking right now um italy i understand that you know their country was quarantined basically because of the strain on the on the medical system they're trying to keep up with it and i think that's a big part of it too is is that gets left out of out of a lot of the stories and we should expect over the next week joe uh we're talking on saint patrick's day here that the uh, number of U.S. cases should go up just because they're testing now. They're actually te- they weren't testing last month. Now they're testing, so I think the cases might even go up. Yeah, I, I agree. The testing is there's a lot more people I think walking around with this virus than um, than officially noted. Put it that way, which is on one hand is good because what it tells you is a lot of the cases. What it tells me. And this, again, I'm speculating, I don't know, but what I've read, um, you know, what it tells you is the death rate is much lower than what they're putting out. And number two, most of the cases are relatively, um, you know, they're relatively uh, manageable from a health standpoint. And, and like you said, the, the people who are 60 years or older or have compromised immune systems or have other health issues, I mean, the danger there, I mean, that there is a um a much higher risk for them but uh in any event how you plan all this and how you deal with it i you know going back to your point on small business uh, you know if you're you know nike can nike can shut down all their stores and pay everybody to stay home but you know if you're joe's smokehouse uh, uh barbecue grill you're in a world of hurt um, and and yeah. if you're the servers at joe's smokehouse grill yep you're your landlord's in a world of hurt. You know what I mean? So that, that's what I'm saying. This has ripples and ripples that I, I don't believe a lot of the leaders understand. I mean, when you start telling people not to have events more than 10 people, more than 50 people, well, that's that you're changing society. You are changing society on a dime. And this is where I want to get back to the oil and gas sector here before we you know turn this into the view. 
um, or you know, some kind of some kind of which, by the way, I would love doing. I'd love that. I love the roundtable talks. But uh, you and I were talking before about uh, this May, their banking regulations or the banking changes are going to come out. And I wanted to ask you about that uh, just a little bit more specifically, because you, you just went to a conference about that. So you you have a little bit more of uh, a knowledge than I do on that. In fact, I probably didn't even phrase that correctly, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the second part is, is that uh, I've actually had quite a few interviews by quite a few, probably three or four, which I consider a lot, you know, over the last month and a half. Uh, people talking about foreign companies buying oil and gas properties and building oil and gas facilities down in like Lake Charles and in Corpus Christi and up in the Bakken. Uh, foreign companies doing this. And this is not a new thing, but it's never really been talked about. And not much anyway. And I've had, like I said, three or four, maybe even five people, now that I'm really thinking about it, where we've had this conversation. Not brought up by me, by the way. Not brought up by me. This was other people bringing it up. And when you think about, you know, the, the price of natural gas at 15 bucks over in the UK, so they're looking at Corpus Christi and Lake Charles and saying, you know, Two, three bucks for natural gas over here. It's cheaper just to build the facility here and then ship it over to the UK. And then, of course, you got some, you know, China and France and Germany. They're fracking down in Texas and in the Bakken, et cetera. When this is all said and done, this can, uh, uh, coronavirus and the economy resets and we start talking about all this and all the new banking guidelines come out, too. And we got the foreign companies coming in. Joe, I just, you know, I'm spitballing here, but there's a lot of spitballs coming at you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, with regard to last Thursday when the Permian Basin uh, presentation was made by a public company, and, you know, one of the things he pointed out, you know, as management, it's uh, when you run a company, you generally have to have a borrowing line and you generally have a banking syndicate. And the banking syndicate that they use has like about 11 or 12 banks, and they all own this company. It's not super highly indebted, but they, and I said, what happens is they don't, they just don't give you an unsecured loan. You know, they look and they will give you a loan based on your reserve value, which means the oil that you found in the ground. And they, this company has, you know, has uh, quite a bit of oil in the ground and quite a bit of production. But when you figure out when the bank sits down and their lending officer, and they, they actually have some petroleum engineers on staff, most of them, uh, that do any energy lending anyway, um, they, the engineer will look and he'll say, gee, you know, you, you have, you know, you're producing a thousand barrels per day and at $50 a barrel, this will be the cash flow. And so when you figure out, well, we'll you know, we'll lend you a portion of that as, um, you know, reserve, it's called reserve-based lending. Um, that works great until you, you know, if you realize maybe your cost to, to produce is $40, so you have a, a profit margin cash flow in there, positive. Uh, but when it falls to 35 or $30 a barrel, you know, you go to the banker and it's like, you're, what's your collateral worth? Well, you get a, you know, a thousand barrels a day production and gee, it costs you $40 to produce. And you're getting 30, you know, what will, you know, what, what's the collateral worth? And it's like, well, not much. So, um, except when you look out, you know, for you, you can, you know, look out on the futures curve and, you know, say, gee, you know, next year it'll be 50 or 60, but that's all speculative too. And, 
and the banking um, these banks there are you know they they do have guidelines with regard to you know energy lending and how much you know they won't give you a hundred percent of your just like you you know if I went with my house to the bank and said gee you know I just had an appraisal it's worth you know two hundred thousand dollars you know I want a loan against it and um, they wouldn't give me two hundred thousand dollars they say oh, okay we'll give you you know, most of the times, let's say we'll give you 180,000 or 160,000 because they want some margin of safety there. And same way with oil, but when and the May comes up is when you know they generally redetermine the value of your uh, line um, once or twice a year. I think it's twice a year. And so the next time they will, most of the significance will look at this will be probably in May. And so when May, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, a lot of these smaller companies, actually a lot of the larger companies are going to, you know, approach their lenders and the lenders are going to say, geez, you know, what we thought was worth $200,000 is worth like 50,000. Um, and you know, we're going to pull your credit line or we're not gonna, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll create a, a cash flow issue, which is one reason why you see a bunch of companies, you know, immediately they're cutting, well, number one, just from a profit standpoint but also from the credit line standpoint i mean you you cut out your your rig count really quickly it's like geez we're just gonna stack the rigs i mean the heck with it uh we can't make money we don't you know we don't at 30 dollars and we're not going to the bank's not going to lend us any and that's like it's a good thing actually you don't there's some prudence built into the system but we never expected and this actually came up thursday the executives were talking actually some of the people at the table with me who are uh, engineers in the sector, uh, consulting engineers, told me, you know, we we never expected, you know, 20 or 30 years to go to see the volatility that we do today in oil prices. And it really, really makes it difficult to plan because you don't know when you're, when you're drilling. And the, the wells that this company was drilling were only $2 million each, which is for, for the Permian, that's cheap and because they're shallow wells and they're, uh, you know, they're only a mile long. That's all, all the further they're going because the economics work best for that length. But, uh, in any event, they, you know, they essentially said, uh, you know, with the volatility of prices, you just can't, you know, who would have guessed we'd see $30 a barrel oil? Um, yeah, no one. I mean, it's just, I, it's beyond the, um, you it'll know, be the, back. The, uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it will. I mean, it, it might be a year. And I, I, you know, like we've talked about before in this program, the nineties, it was a decade essentially of low oil prices for a decade. So, um, it's, you know, really when you look at the, what's going on in the, on, on the globe right now, it's almost like the globe is going through an oil bust. You know, you talk about the traditional boom bust cycles of, you know, the, the, the last well is drilled and then that small town, well, that's bust town USA. It almost is like that right now on the planet with the way everything is shut down, you know? Um, boy, that's a good point. I tell you the other, you know, you look at Iran, you look at Iraq, you look at, you know, anybody, I mean, even Saudi Arabia and, and Russia, I mean, you know, their, their internal forecast, I guarantee you, were not for $30 a barrel oil. Mexico, you know, actually hedged their, I was told or read, they generally hedge most of their production. So they're probably selling oil at $50, but they're selling it under hedges, which means, you know, whoever, whoever's holding those hedges is, in a world of hurt, you know, well, who those here, people are. Here's, here's know, the telling. bottom line, Joe. The bottom line is that 96% of what we do in today's world needs 
fossil fuels from our toothbrush to our toothpaste to our wind turbines to our computers to the data centers that power our cell phones and it ain't going anywhere in our lifetime now right the, you know the, the 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 journey is a little different the journey is a little different now this is an unexpected part of the journey uh greta thunberg and uh, the um, uh, child warriors of of the ecolution was unexpected uh, I, I do believe, you know, some of the uh, Colorado movement, and that's that's that Greta Thunberg movement, except on a different level, was unexpected. However, um, not so much. I think it was maybe the, the, the speed was unexpected, but I do think the opposition has been happening since Earth Day, if that makes sense. So it's uh, it, this coronavirus, though, created the speed so much faster that I think that the reset button and things are just going to look different, you know. By the way, um, just to mention, you know, the the Permian Basin and the Eagleford are looking to, you know, increase over the next year still. You know, the new report just came out by the uh, EIA. What is that? The Energy Institute Association. What is the EIA again? What is that? Energy Information Administration. Thank you, Energy Information <laughs> yep. Administration. Um, I mean, everybody is an alphabet now. Everybody is. Yeah. I mean, even laugh on loudly, laugh out loud. You know, your emojis <laughs> are, are alphabets and everything, acronyms. And anyway, but so they're looking at New Mexico and Texas to rise. And I do think with the solidification that fossil fuels has in our lifetime, that you might see a shift of how it's done, how it's drilled, even who's drilling it. But at the end of the day, natural gas is the future. Now, now right. crude, crude oil will change. That's no, no question about it. I don't know how it's going to change, but it will change, and it will continue to have uses out in the world. But, but natural gas is the future. And once these pipelines are done, Joe, we are going to see... Uh, uh, just a complete quality of life change like we've never seen before. I mean, it's going to be so amazing the next 10 years after the next one is done. Anyway. Yeah, the, the pipeline, actually, the pipelines, it'll take, yeah, that's the interesting thing, too, the opposition to pipelines, but that's just a whole nother discussion. We probably talked long enough <laughs> today on a bunch of other issues, but the... Well, actually, Se and Senator Kramer and I were just talking about how this coronavirus is going to prolong, it's going to delay the pipelines. You know, it's... Oh, it's actually, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually going to cause problems in it. So sorry to, to, to interrupt you there, but that's, that is one of the, the uh, you know unforeseen consequences with this is that now these pipelines are probably going to take a little bit longer to get built and therefore the cheap reliable energy to get it to the third world countries who i just read were going to get 85 percent of their economies were going to get impacted because of this you know and and we've talked about how getting affordable energy to third world countries is really what is the cornerstone of oil and gas and and even coal, really, that's the cornerstone behind it. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So go back to your thought if you even remember it, because I just threw a bunch. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, like natural gas pipelines, they'll like I say that they're the opposition to them is creating some real, um, yeah, real issues uh, going forward. And even the Permian, and and I don't know how it is in the Balkan, it may be similar. I mean, a lot of a lot of producers are actually paying. You have a negative net. You have a negative negative value for natural gas at the wellhead because you have to pay a pipeline because there's not the capacity. So, 
you know, you either shut in your well or you pay someone or you flare. And if you can't get a flaring permit or if you're environmentally friendly, you, you, you know, pay someone to take your natural gas, which is unfortunate, but I mean, it'll, 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 that will correct itself uh, slowly. Yeah, I think so. In fact, I even talked to Senator Kramer about, I I asked him if maybe he should start the conversation in the halls of Congress about uh, shifting the subsidies from solar and wind over to natural gas and, so I, he, I, you know, he's not a big fan of subsidies. Of course, he's a conservative Republican. But my, 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 my point is still valid, I believe, which is that the energy companies are paying their more than fair share of taxes. They do not get subsidies like the wind and energy companies. Uh, energy companies are asked to, or I'm sorry, oil and gas companies have been asked to reach certain milestones, which they hit for the most part. And they do it on their own with their own money. And the wind and solar companies have not met their milestones. And so my bigger picture is, is that, God, if we just subsidize natural gas, boy, we'd get the problem solved in five years. And we'd probably end up with some new super plastic and some new way to farm like we've never even heard of. And everybody could have a greenhouse attached to their their deal. And who knows, maybe it's a new water heater that's on your roof. So you'd all of a sudden don't have to worry about hot water anymore. I don't know. I'm just I'm thinking of just spitballing again here. But I look at if we could just transition some of that money to natural gas and then the mineral owners would get would get paid on the royalties of the natural gas that's flared and then they could go spend money at the local cafes and all kinds of things. So I just see it being such a positive. Yeah, I agree. And actually, the the, uh, oil and gas sector is a lot more person intensive than the renewables. So, you know, you build a wind turbine or a solar farm and, you know, you don't need you don't need a drilling crew. You don't need a completion crew. You don't need to go in and refract. You don't need to have a pumper go out and check every day. And um, so the, which is good because essentially what it means is these are decent jobs at decent pay that, you know, in areas that, um, you know, there's a number of people in the country would love to live in North Dakota. And uh, most people, you know, would think you're nuts. You know, no, no offense, Jason. <laughs> I'm one of them that would love to live in North Dakota, but it's a, uh, um, you know, one of those deals, there's, you know, there's not, there's not the diversified economy that you have in Dallas or Austin, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and, they, and especially with good jobs. So, uh, unless you want to go into agriculture and boy, that's a hard life, uh, from what I've been told, it's everybody who's been in it pretty much has told me, you know, they never want to go back to a farm again, which I thought was sort of interesting commentary, but, uh, in any event, you're right on with natural gas. I agree. It's a big, it's a big fuel of the future for the world and really for the United States because we, we have a huge amount of natural gas. And I guess the, the Saudi Arabia of reserves is pretty much up, you know, around Pittsburgh, believe it or not, um, in the Marcellus and Utica shales that uh, were there for ages and no one really knew, you know, the the amount of natural gas that was there until the fracking revolution uh, a decade ago. Well, what do you see happening now when this is all said and done? I mean, do you, do you see, what, what do you see is going to happen with the energy industry? I mean, you're talking about conferences canceled. The Williston Petroleum Conference can't, got rescheduled to September. The, you know, the API gumbo cook-off got canceled or possibly rescheduled. And, you know, I was even, I even emailed the person from API. I said, what about your monthly API meetings? Are those canceled going forward? Or are you still meeting there? And so 
this is going to impact the energy industry in ways like we've never seen before. I mean, a lot of these guys and girls, they rely on these industry events for their sales. I mean, I can't imagine going back to cold calling. Oh, geez, man, trying to get somebody on the phone nowadays. I couldn't even imagine that. Trying to get somebody yeah. over email. It's much easier to walk <laughs> up to them and shake their hand and buy them a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those conferences, though, are they really? Oh, I don't want to work. I want to go on the field trips. Come on, give me a, uh, give me a per uh, diem and send me out to a field trip. The um, yeah, the conferences. I mean, I, yeah, they are. Yeah, I'm sorry, Joe. Are, are you processing now that you got to work? You're like, hey, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that gets the per diem and it goes to the field trips. Uh, anyway, it's interesting. I, and I don't know, Jason, going forward, like I say, I do think that um, I want like to tell you natural gas prices and oil prices at the current level are not sustainable, even at low economic activity levels. And I think for the industry, while the short term is going to be very difficult, um, 12 months to 24 months out, we'll start to see a recovery and it actually might be a little more robust than a lot of people think. And um, and especially depending on how the virus goes, too, it's going to be interesting to see if this stuff, no one, no one really knows. I mean, you, you get all the experts in the room and, you know, some say that's going to burn itself out in July and some say, hey, this is going to be with us for three years. So, you know, Lord knows that they, the difference in impact economically is going to be a lot different. And I think we'll know a lot more in a month because, you know, after you shut down all the restaurants and bars in New York City for a month, as well as the schools, um, boy, it's going to be, I'm, I'm just very curious what's going to happen. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's unprecedented unprecedented future quite frankly and i'm not bright enough to figure it out other than say i'm concerned so for a lot of people for both the the residents uh as well as for the business owners well i'll kind of say this in closing here because i'm kind of looking at the clock and realizing i got to get this uh done sometime today so um thinking about you know i i've been mentioning this lately and i just had this conversation with my son last night we were talking he asked me about if the coronavirus if we would possibly mutate and evolve from this, maybe grow wings, you know, that type of thing. And um, I said, you know, son, I said, to be honest, I said, the way humans evolve, in my opinion, is more by behavior. And I go, when you look at humans, we really haven't grown, you know, evolved much beyond, you know, growing wings. And, you know, we haven't had a, you know, a third arm or anything like that. So it's just, it seems like by behavior and our use of tools, and understanding is how humans evolve. And that's what I think is going to happen when this is all said and done. Because the more and more you and I talk, I was just even thinking of universities. I don't think universities are ever going to be the same after this summer. I really don't. I think there's going to be such an increase of online education that the universities are going to be forced to have to change their current business model. And, you know, if... When, really, when you think about it, if, if Rip Van Winkle woke up from his slumber of 100 years, our education system would probably be one of the only things that looks the same from 100 years ago. That's a real good point. I mean, actually, you go on campus, you see all the buildings, you see all the – and you see also see how you – know, just a function of logistics to see how inefficient it is that, you know, you need these classrooms, but they're used 
maybe 10% of the time because, I mean, the entire summer you only have, you know, the summer classes there. And then, you know, you have a class that, you know, goes for an hour and a half and then there's a hour break and they put another one in there and maybe three classes per day. It's like running, you know, back in the days I, I used to be a big, I loved ice hockey and I used to play a little bit, just not, not just competitively, but not, you know, not anything major, but, uh, essentially the, um, if you run an ice arena, you have the same issue where, you know, from three o'clock in the afternoon till maybe, you know, 10 or 11 at night, you've got a lot of people, but you know, after that, you know, you, you, your facility is underutilized. It's the same way with the, uh, the universities and their real estate. And of course, everybody wants these days to have the you know, state of the art gym and the state of the art football field and the state of the art um, medical school and business school and law school and, you know, biotechnology school. And so they all build new buildings. And, uh, you know, gee, you look at the economics as well as dorms, the dorms, the dorms that you and I would have stayed in uh, at. University of North Dakota, if I went there, but I went to, actually, I went and visited my own old dorm that was built in 1970, 1970, I think, and at the time, I thought it was beautiful. Now, I went back, and it reminded me of a jail cell, <laughs> Right. and just because, just you know, that's, but that's what you were used to, but the, you look at it, and the online, the online is so much more efficient, and you got a guy like me who can teach online, um, you know, in Kansas, in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, in Michigan, uh, in Texas. I mean, via Zoom and some of the other technology they have. And actually, our online program at Texas A&M, we have students from, oh, at least two dozen states that are, you know, taking, um, getting a master's in energy law. And so you you have people, which is great, you know, the great to teach, that, so they get exposed to your program, but it's also great for the classmates and the teacher, because essentially I got you know, people that can talk about the Bakken, people that talk about the Permian, people that can talk about the Marcellus. And so if we're talking about oil and gas leasing and producing and paying royalties, you get, you get, you get information real time from all over the country, which is really pretty cool. And then a lot of times when they graduate, if they, they link together as classmates, as well as with the professor. And, and actually uh, Sunday I took one of my, that student's from Oklahoma out. He was in Dallas for a wedding, and, uh, you know, he's out in Amarillo now practicing both energy and agricultural law out there, and I got to visit with him and, and find out what's happening in the Texas panhandle, which is, is it's god-awful beautiful, but I think I'd rather be in North Dakota, Jason. <laughs> I hate to say that. I'm being a Texan, but it's, uh, it's pretty uh, barren, but it is a, and I told him, you know, if you're a if you go out there and spend 20 years, you know, everybody's going to know who you are because it's not that big a town. And he's very, um, he gets involved in a lot of stuff. And I go, you can be a real leader in a smaller, uh, smaller cog versus being in Dallas where you're one of, you know, 5 million people. So anyway, well, I, I know this family that moved into North Dakota back when Kennedy was in office and they still call them the new folks in town so in the state no i'm just kidding that's an old joke but i will say this in closing um that the part that i just can't get my mind off of is like i said i i truly believe that humans evolve through behavior and right now i just can't get over this is a time of evolution for us on a lot of levels okay not only are we evolving in terms of how we're looking at the planet and how we're looking at a lot of different things but 
Humans have always gravitated together in groups from the Roman gladiator days to armies to, you know, just um, Woodstock. You know, humans have always been been gravitated to safety in numbers, if you will. If, if we're going to move forward in a society, and I'm not saying we're there, but I think these discussions are being had of not having events of more than 10 people or getting a permit if you want to have up to 50 people, that's going to change human behavior, Joe, because we're not used to that. And if, we, if we're going to have a party of 20 people and we got to call the county to get a public health certification permit, that... That those are real discussions that have already uh, that have already been had, so um, that's how I'm looking at this. Is that I see how humans are just going to probably evolve through this. Really, anyway. That's there's 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 your deep thought there for a, for a St. Patrick's <laughs> Day, but really, we're in unprecedented uh, time, and and the neat thing is, well, if there is a neat thing, is I think. You know, you will see society, we will move together in a direction to be that will be most beneficial for, you know, most of our members, which, uh, which, you know, in the last 10 years, it's been, it seems like everybody is more and more divisive on so many issues. But I think the, you know, the goal of, you know, maintaining your health and controlling the virus is such a awesome, gigantic goal that people are going to be much more I hope cooperative and uh, and like you say, it'll change behavior, including educational behavior. I totally agree with you. I think education in the next ten years is going to look totally different than uh, than what it has. And maybe it's just a belief because I've been moving online for you know really the last five or ten years and working with online programs. But and I can I have to admit, Jason, I'm old enough. I still love to have the students in the seat, regardless of how. Um, regardless of how inefficient it is, because you get the immediate feedback, you can talk to them before class, you can talk to them after class, you know, you, you develop more of a personal relationship versus an internet relationship, but, but both work, and from an economic standpoint, is that in-the-seat experience, you know, worth all the extra money, I mean, that's, that's, that's the debate, so. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. But now I'm back at the bar again Hanging out with all my rowdy friends Getting drunk and singing redneck songs I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long Pour me a beer and a shot of jazz The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years Innovative the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Whiskey glass. Hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time. Not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. And that's going to do it for the Crude Live podcast today, folks. I'd like to thank Joe Danzie for coming by 
today's program. Boy, I tell you, today was a different program. The coronavirus is impacting the show. None of us have it. Provolone, he's, he's not positive for it. I just had blood tests yesterday, so I don't have it as far as I know. And things are, actually, it's a, it's a nasal swab. It's not blood tests. I found that out yesterday when I was getting my blood test. See, I can't lie to you folks. I can't lie to you folks. I don't have any symptoms. They told me I don't have it, but I did have blood work yesterday because I, you know, I go in for the cancer stuff. I'm a cancer survivor, so I have to go in and get my annual and, uh, you know, my, my twice a year checkup to, for them to tell me if I have it back or not. And I guess I find out later today, but, um, which is a kind of a weird feeling. See how easily we kind of go off the deep end here. What happens when you lie? Not only does baby Jesus cry, but you just start making things worse and worse and worse. And, uh, you know, folks, that's the one thing. I'm not going to lie to you. So I went in yesterday, got some blood tests. I did not get tested for the coronavirus, but I asked them if I should. And they said, no, I don't have any of the symptoms. And provolone, you don't have any of the symptoms. So we're coronavirus free. However, getting back to my bigger point here, which I'm not even sure what it is anymore. Getting back, refocusing to the program. Joe Dancy, as I mentioned, talking about a variety of different things. And by the way, also, I love the fact that we brought up the retirees, how some of the you know people who are retiring right now probably have a lot of oil and gas stocks. And then anything they had outside of that's not doing well either. So, you know, I, I'm just saying maybe might want to reach out to some people, see how they're doing. Uh, they might be in a precarious situation right now because they were relying on stocks to do well and uh, they haven't been and the energy industry stocks have already been under fire so that was an interesting thread of the interview as well with joe dancy by the way that full-length interview is available at the crudelife.com i do want to mention tomorrow we are going to talk with uh kerr pumps jake foster so that'll be part of tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit about how they're reacting to the coronavirus, what they're doing, how they're, I guess, if they're having meetings and, and internally, that sort of thing. Just Because you have to adjust. I mean, we're finding out. I mean, you can't even really go, go out to a restaurant and take somebody out for lunch anymore. So you got to reinvent how you're selling and how you're engaging with customers. So there's a lot to this, folks. And feel free to lean on the crude life. Like we said, this is here for you. The crude life is here for you. For you to lean on so if you check out our show page all the links are available as well to our headlines links to the interviews links to our sponsor thank you very much blackwater environmental blackwater environmental is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience blackwater environmental offers inspections consulting coating failure analysis specification wiring and coating application services for energy oil, gas, and municipal markets. Blackwater Environmental started in Moorcroft, Wyoming, and as they grew, they moved their facilities to Gillette, Wyoming. Blackwater Environmental takes pride in giving the best quality and service to their customers. For more information, visit blackwaterenviro.com. We also have the link at the show page as well. The March Madness Coronavirus-Free 2020 Tournament is now happening. Go to the crudelife.com show page. We have the brackets set up for you. We get all kinds of great matchups, folks. Check them out. See who's going to win. Who will win this year's March Madness Tournament. The Crude Life 2020 March Madness Tournament. First round games happening March 19th. We're going to have a little bit of analysis tomorrow here on the Crude Life podcast. 
That's going to really do it for today, folks. Blind Joe's our music crossover, so enjoy some Blind Joe music. Support him as well. Hatch Coaching, thank you very much for being our studio sponsor. And our phone line, the Bakken Barbecue. They are our sponsor for our phone line. And by the way, we're going to be joining U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer on our Bakken Barbecue phone line in just a minute or less because U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer talks about the rise of environmentalism, how it's impacted the energy industry, specifically in the investing side in the oil and gas sector on our daily radio update right here on the podcast. How do we get around? We got to wordsmith that, right? Okay, we'll do that. U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, folks, in just a second or two. Provolone, excellent job today. Thank you very much for your hard work. That's going to do it today, folks. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies reminding you, be happy. There's so much to smile and be grateful about. The sun is up. You can change the world. You can reinvent yourself. Today's the day to do it. Now is the time when everybody is contracting and being less social and almost cocooning up. Well, when it's all said and done, folks, you can reinvent and be a butterfly out of that cocoon or be a phoenix from the ashes. Whatever cliche phrase or mystical moment you need, it's there. Because really, folks, it's happening right now. So how do you want to live your life? I'll tell you how I want to live my life. I want to live the crude life. And please remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Well, it certainly is an extreme version of, of environmentalism that's really rooted more in um, you know, political liberalism than it is in, in concern for the environment because if you really cared about the environment you'd want more pipelines because that's the most environmentally safe way to move a product that is in high demand while it's a shrinking demand right now it's ultimately in high demand and we have to have it i mean and i don't need to go into all the, the details of that unless you want to jason but raise an important point because this is splashing over not just from not just into uh you know protests of of permits or you know protesting literally at construction sites those things um you know are are inconveniences and those things can certainly delay important projects but now they've gotten into the banking community now i serve on the banking committee so i on the one hand i serve on the environment and public works committee that that oversees some of the regulatory side of things Um, and then i also serve on the banking committee which oversees the financial side of things well now they've convinced large banks i mean you know the some of the biggest names that you and i know of and they've intimidated them into pulling back on lending and, and investing in these fossil projects well you know you cut off large uh, access to, to large amounts of money uh, these are highly capital uh, intensive projects obviously um and you know that this is another way around or another way to attack the, the entire industry so that i've, I've gotten very involved in in going after the banks that have acquiesced to this bullying. Um, I don't believe that banks who are insured by the federal government, that is to say the taxpayers of this country, um, ought to be making decisions to to deny credit to legal companies that are in good standing and, and have every right and reason and frankly responsibility 
to uh, to build out. Um, but we're seeing a lot of a lot of capex being cut now as a result of these low prices in in North Dakota and throughout the country. I think you're gonna you know I've had enough personal conversations with with uh, company CEOs to know what's you know that, that there's going to be a real serious pullback and some of that has not been announced yet. So I'm not going to. But um, but yeah, the, the, the environmental movement is is alive it's well and it's vicious right now and that was u.s senator kevin kramer to listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the that's the from the staff here at the crude life daily update my name is jason spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry it's a way of life the crude life is sponsored in part by historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Here we go. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. <clears throat> Hamburger steaks, holiday inns. That's the kind of world that I live in I play a different town most every night love on my woman write a new song that's my life well that's my life yes y'all and I love it well that's my life there ain't nothing else in the world above it and I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it You're gonna make it You gotta live it I got a big bus With a TV and a bar And a little room in the back for me And my old guitar I gotta stop and fuel up Every 500 miles Give a picture to the waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. Cause that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone, picking their guitars, playing their songs. I tell them, forget it, cause you can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday, and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. Cause that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it, if you're gonna make it You gotta live it Yeah brother, you can't fake it, if you're gonna make it You gotta live it it seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow 
his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.